You never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Hello and welcome to You Matter, a Spring Hills podcast. I'm Josh Meyer. Thanks so much for joining us today on our Going Deeper episode. As our church grows, we want you to feel loved and cared for, and there's no better way to do that than for you to get to hear the voice of our pastors and our leaders here at this church, so that you know that we want you to feel loved, and we want you to be able to live and be led like Jesus Christ. Today, we are going deeper on this past weekend's sermon titled, Get Up with the scripture of Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13, calling us to respond to Jesus' invitation by accepting that we are not righteous without Him and to get up and follow Him. Today, I have Pastor Tom on the show to help me go deeper. How's it going, Tom? Going very well, Josh. I'm having a very productive day today, and you know that feels good. Productive is very good at the beginning of the week. You know how that can be around here. Some days things just happen, and next thing you know, you're behind the eight ball. So um, good for you that you're on top of things. Um, I am also being productive this week, or at least ahead of the game. So that's a good thing. It's a great feeling to be just a little bit ahead. It is. It is. The sun is out, and there's a lot of exciting things for us to talk about. But the one thing we have to talk about is this past weekend's sermon. Was there anything that you left out? Well, I think the most basic thing that I left out is in, I was telling the story of Matthew, or also called Levi, and I did not tell the whole story. Uh, I think probably, um, you know, any classic preaching attempt would get to the main point of a story that you're telling, and I didn't. I didn't even get to the main point. I made my main point the main point. But the main point, uh, if you look at the entire story in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that um, Jesus goes to Matthew's house, Levi's house, and he's meeting there with tax collectors, and the Pharisees are really upset. They're really, really upset. And they go to the disciples, and, they're, and they say, basically, why is your master? Why is Jesus eating with these sinners. And then Jesus drops this line, this incredible line. Um, and it's really, I think, best described in Matthew. Jesus said, it is, not hel- it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And literally, it's from this passage that's probably the most important thing about it, which is Matthew is a sinner. Levi is a sinner. And Jesus calls him. He comes to him. He goes to him. Um, so really the point of the story, which I didn't even cover in the sermon at all, I completely left out, is this really intriguing and amazing idea that Jesus comes to someone completely unworthy, someone who's not cleaning up their life, someone who's not trying at all. There's Matthew's giving no effort whatsoever. Um, and Jesus comes to him. It is what Jesus does. He first comes to earth. He comes to us, right? And then in this story, we have a little microcosm of what Jesus does. Um, he comes to Matthew and says, follow me. And then, and then that, you know, he quotes the book of Hosea. Uh, when he says, go, I God really kind of love this part. Um, so this is Jesus to the Pharisees speaking with authority and just making them so angry, no doubt. Go and learn what this means. Okay. These are teachers, right? He's talking to the teachers. Right. Says, go and learn what this means. He quotes scripture. Uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. I left it out. Um, I really, in the Follow Me sermon series, I'm just shaping it around uh, what I'm calling Follow Me stories or Follow Me statements. Um, and so I just focus on the, on that dramatic Matthew 9, 9. Um, I do, I, I'm, I'm sure it came across to those who listened to the sermon that I love that verse. Um, I love the immediate obedience, you know, that we see. So anyway, I, I left out a lot, Josh, in this, in this sermon and I wrestled with it, how to bring in what probably is the main point that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are sharing. Jesus came, Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came for those who are unworthy of him. Um, and that's us. That's every one of us. We see his mercy. We see his love in this story in Matthew. Um, but I was focusing more on the, the follow me kind of section of it and the sure. immediate obedience and then just kind of what this means to, to follow him. Um, I also did not share Saturday night the fantastic story that just happened in church Sunday morning with my mom where I hugged her and just said, Oh mom, you're, you know, the sweaters, this is amazing. And she's like, uh, <laughs> you gave this to me for Christmas. And, uh, it was just a, it was a funny little extra right. kind of add on about knowing your role. Um, and so Saturday night folks didn't get to hear that story. And then I said something Saturday, I didn't say Sunday. So, you know, that's, that is per use, I would say. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's kind of what I left out. Sounds good. All right. Well, one of the things that I was thinking off the top of my head was, is this concept of what he says when he calls them out. I, I, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. Yeah. And obviously everyone is a sinner. Right. And then I was reading last night in Matthew 11 and how there was that, that point where he had preached in all these different areas, Capernaum and things like that. And he said, if, if, if I would have done what I did in Capernaum, if I would have done that in Sodom, Sodom would have been redeemed and things like that. And he says, you know, praise to you, my father, who who has chosen those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. And then he immediately goes in, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I, you know, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I almost wonder, is there an element to this moving forward, several chapters forward into Matthew being called by um by Jesus is is it not only that I came for the sinner but I also came for the humble sinner mm-hmm. who has ears to hear and eyes to see well certainly it's it's about in this story it's about the response of Matthew that Matthew responds in such a dramatic way um and the immediate obedience that I've already spoken of and then you know, the other thing that went through my head, of course, with this sermon, but I didn't ultimately go there, was the a contrast sermon with contrasting Matthew with the rich young ruler, who is very similar to Matthew in the in the one sense that they both are wealthy. Jesus, after that story of the rich young ruler, he goes into the how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's like a mm-hmm. it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Um, we don't have to get distracted on this pod with that, you know, with sure. that yeah, element. No but yeah. at the same time, um, that. That's an easy contrast to say. You know, Matthew was humble. Matthew did respond with such um, overwhelming, immediate uh, obedience to to leave everything, to drop everything, and just follow Jesus. And yeah, I think I think you're right, Josh. I think you're right that it's it isn't. He came for sinners. Yes, he came for everyone. 
God so loved the world, He sent His one and only Son. Um, but also, it's it's especially those who humbly receive. They humbly see um, what Christ has done. And we we had at eleven o'clock a a baptism, a mother daughter that were being baptized and and coming from a difficult place, but but humbly humbly received mm. Christ. And that was a beautiful beautiful thing to see. Awesome. All right. Well, we have three questions today. Let's we're going to jump it. right into them. The first one is a question about Christian affection of the world. Can you go deeper on the topic of what it means to abandon your affection of this world? I'm conflicted because I am disgusted at the culture and the way we are tearing ourselves apart, but I still enjoy my life here on earth on this side of eternity, enjoying movies and certain types of music and sports, etc., can you enlighten this person? Yeah, so that's definitely a quote from the fill-in about abandoning your affection for the world. So when I say affection, we to give deeper meaning into this, and this is a going deeper, Josh, isn't it? For sure. Uh, it's good. Um, I could I, Two words I could insert that might make it clear, instead of abandon your affection for the world, it could be abandon your worship of the world or abandon your idolatry of the world would be would be two ways for me to maybe expound on what i was saying and i wasn't trying to say never have fun you can't smile um you wear black every day and you know just you know, be be angry if someone laughs no i'm not saying any of those things at all i'm just saying and it was the second part of the film which is so that jesus can be the center of your life um when anything else is your object of worship or is your idol when something creeps into the first place in your life? Uh, that's the that's the, about the affection of your heart for that thing, mm. and so that's really what I was trying to say: is uh, don't worship anything um, more than Jesus. Don't don't idolize something. Have an idol that is ahead of Jesus. Don't have an idol at all. I guess would be a good way of saying that. But um, I, I think it's good. I mean, I think I think for us, you know, you and I. You and I, Josh, we talked on this pod about how, um, not today's pod, but our previous pod, how uh, we both love Buckeye football and we love, you know, you know, cheering for our team. And, and if you're not careful, you know, things like that can creep ahead, can become, you think about it more often. Many, many years ago, I was trying to figure this out in my heart um, of idolatry and what it means and what you should be thinking. And basically, I just kind of came to the point of like anything I think about more than God may well be an idol anything that i uh long for more than uh how i would think about god in my life that thing i'm longing for if it's the first thing i think about when i wake up in the morning um that's something that i should you know just really kind of kind of evaluate and, and look into i'm not saying that is an idol but i'm saying it could be um and so really what i was talking about when i said affection for the world is idolatry is worship of something other than Jesus. But all that can be understood in the second part of the fill-in, which is so that Jesus can be the center of your life. And I would just include all, encourage all of our podcast listeners to really think about what does it mean to have Jesus at the center of your life? Um, it's not an unpopular phrase. We have a song that we sing, Jesus be the center. Um, but having him at the center of your life is uh, a really important thing. And so we have to understand it. What does it mean and how do we do it? How do, how do we have uh, an awareness that we've that he's no longer the center of our life that, he, that we've focused on something else that something else has taken that place some sometimes some I say historically 
there's been a language used, which has been like who, what, or who is sitting on the throne of your heart is another way of kind of looking at that. What, what's the throne of your heart is kind of being a, maybe a metaphor, a heuristic device to, 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 you don't actually have a throne in your actual heart, but it's a, it's a metaphor to help us understand like there is something controlling you. Um, now it, it, saying it that way too doesn't just, dis- doesn't describe the fragmentation that sometimes happens in a human heart. It's not that one thing is the new idol. It's like, I had six different idols today. Um, I, right. felt, I had so many different things that came in and really took that number one place. That also happens for people. But that's really what I was talking about. Idolatry, worshiping something other than Jesus. Uh, following him means he's first. That's what it means. No, I like it. And I think that, you know, Clearly, the message is is that we can receive the fruits that are coming from this world, whether it be both you know secular things like a football game or sure. things like that. But I think the biggest epidemic that we stru- that we suffer from when it comes to idolatry in our culture today, and maybe perhaps our world, is the self. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's worshiping the self. Yeah. How many times you look in the mirror? Uh, I don't think we were meant to have that many mirrors everywhere we go. Yeah. And all the different thoughts that we have about it's one thing to care about your health for the sake that you're strengthening your temple so yeah. that you can be strong and finish the race well for Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's another thing to be strong because you want to be uh, appealing, you know, based on your own standards or your, you know, those types of things like that. So, yeah, I think that that is probably the largest form of idolatry today. It's not something that we have to be concerned about as far as affection to the world, but rather it is ourself. As we move forward here, let's go ahead and take a look yeah, at a question great. that actually kind of like goes right into that, actually, which is a question about following Jesus in both the active and relational ways. You said following Jesus is both active and relational. What is the relationship between these two aspects and how do they play out in your life? Well, I think um, so active and relational and how they interact. I think the first, if we see them as sequential, I would say the first is relational. Following Jesus is relational. I'm following a person. The person is Jesus Christ. And that was a big focus of my sermon, certainly, that the call to follow Jesus is a call to deep relationships, first with him, but then with all the others that are following him. Um, And so what that looks like for the active part is because I'm in a relationship with Jesus, I really need to know where he's leading me. And this has been actually for me since we started this sermon series, it's been a nice refreshing thing for me to like ask God this question. Are you, I'll have a thought, um, not a, like, should I experiment with Harriman thought? I'm not thinking those things, uh, but a thought about something I could or should do. Uh, but, um, but then I'm asking God, it's a good thing, but I'm asking God, are you leading me to do that? And if he says, if I get that inward sense of, yes, I'm being led to do that, uh, then I know that I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey, number one. But number two, it comes with the knowledge that I'll be provided with the strength that I need. I'll be provided with the understanding that I need, that if, if God's leading me to do it, he'll equip me to do it. Um, but also, there are many, many good things in life that I'm not being led to do not being led uh, in a certain in a certain place in a certain direction but I but my heart might think well that's a worthy thing or that's a good thing or that's something I you know something that I should be you know contemplating or considering um, 
so that's really the, the relational part is I got to hear his voice to say to me how he's leading me. Of course, then domino two is active. So that means I got to take action on it or I don't take action on it. And that's where the Matthew 9, 9 story where he immediately obeys uh, is so compelling because if you, if I have the sense he is leading me, then I, I really want to, I want to respond with obedience. Um, I had an interesting thing happen in the exact realm that I'm talking about right now, which is, um, I, this may sound, this may sound strange. This may sound a little mystical, but I was something, uh, that I was considering doing a good thing, a godly thing. And I was asking God very specifically, are you leading me to do this? And this is what he said to me. Yes, but don't start till Monday. Boom. Hmm. It was so beautiful. I was like, okay, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what you're leading me to do, but I'm not going to start till Monday. Hmm. Um, this was a Friday prayer that I was praying and it was so specific. That's relational to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some, maybe you're wondering as I say that out there, um, how do I know that was God? Um, reminds me of the video I showed of Danica in, in this sermon we're talking about right. where she says, uh, and you know, she woke up and it's like, she's not a believer. She's not following Christ, but she wakes up and God's presence is like in her bedroom. And she's like, how do I know it was God? I don't know. I just knew it was God. Um, mm-hmm. There is that experience. But for me, there are three checks to know it's God speaking to me, God's leading me. Mm. One of them is, um, I, when I sense that God's speaking to me, there's always a washing over of the Holy Spirit, a quick moment of peace or of his presence uh, that's undeniable. Number two, if I hear a phrase, like I just described hearing a phrase, yes, but don't start till Monday, it's, it's always phrased from God's perspective. It's, it's something that he is saying to me. If in my own mind, I phrase things from my perspective, like, I, I think I will do that, but I'm not going to start till Monday. That's how it would have been if I was thinking it. But when God says to me, it's from his perspective. And then the third thing is almost inevitably, it is something I never would have thought on my own. It wasn't, I mean, if, if I just heard a yes or no, yeah, I could have thought that on my own, but I was never, I never would have thought yes, but wait till Monday. That's, that's coming. It's, it's not in my natural, you know, um, style of thinking. It's not, you know, kind of how I would, I would have thought that thing. So, uh, so that's how I know God was leading me in that way. It was relational and then it was active, um, that it really had both those components to it. First relational versus a relationship. Now that can also relate to other people. I don't know how you felt about this, Josh, but I'm going to ask you, I'll put you on the spot. All right. Hope you, hope you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I played a clip from the song, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus where it mm-hmm. says, though none go with me, still I will follow. Mm-hmm. And I kind of made the point that like probably the writer of the song was imagining a, a church service and someone's walking up, but it's, and then I think I actually said this, I may have been stronger than I intended to, to said like, it's kind of a silly line because there are millions of people following Jesus. You're never going to be in a situation where not you're the only one, um, maybe in one place at one time, possibly, but you can know there are millions of people right now, perhaps over a billion people actively following Jesus. And any of them can be a source of strength for you, of prayer, of, uh, you know, just be, you know, being there with you, helping you, mentoring you, or you can be helping and mentoring someone else. So that's also relational and active. So in a relationship uh, with another believer, that's a mature believer, you can go to them and ask them, like, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. But in the relationship you formed will allow them to help you, give you advice. Then you take that to God, you pray about it, and then you're active. It's relational and it's active when you're following Jesus. Am I making sense, Josh? What, are you, what are you thinking sense. about? In fact, actually, when you brought that into the service, 
um, this past weekend, one of the things that I thought about is the current, as if you were standing in the ocean, the ocean currents of Christian culture today. There has always been, throughout history, heresy and apostasy and factions of Christianity that are false. So true. However, in the Christian history, we have had a healthy foundation for several years of not a large abundance of that. Hmm. However, I was present during the time that you were sharing that we may be experiencing some cultural apostasy-driven shifts Mm-hmm. in our world today. And the message that I got when you said, well, maybe millions are following Christianity. I said, yeah, but maybe they're not following it correctly. And it's mm-hmm. easier to go with the current mm-hmm. that might not be correctly. And though none may go with me, yes, Jesus, I will follow you word for word in this beautiful book that you've given me that mm-hmm. tells the story of your life. That's what says, that's what goes. You know, you are the word, you are the authority. And if nothing in you is false, then the story about you can't be false as well. And in a world that's trying to obscure certain things or try to um, place a mirror on where it's about you and all the, mm-hmm. the, all that stuff, I think that we should be aware of the fact that there is a narrow path. Yeah, it's good what you're saying. And I think, too, another, another element to it is um, one of the current kind of apostasies I'd say in, in the Western church right now is a focus on individualism, a focus on it is about you or you are the only one or you, or you can be following Christ, but not have a church. You can be following Christ. We don't need, you don't need other Christians in your life. You just do it by yourself alone. Um, I heard some, something along those lines just last week from someone whose husband refuses to come to church because they don't need to come. They don't need a church to follow. They're a Christian. They don't need, they don't need a church. They have God. Um, but that, that's also again, it's kind of in the same vein of though none go with me, I, I can do it by myself. Uh, I can be the only one. But but really, Christianity is about a community of people. It's about people supporting each other, loving each other, being with each other, uh, following Christ together. Um, and so that yeah, I think you're right about what you're saying, 100. Um, percent But but that is one of those current trends. I almost said current currents, using your analogy. Uh, <laughs> one of the current currents is that is that you don't need a church, or you can church hop, 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 church to church, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, go to wherever you know you feel the best, whatever. Versus really engaging with a family and being and being in a family and and committing to a family. Um, and yeah, it's a it's part of that. The I totally thing. agree with you, and I think one of the current trends right now. Thanks for not saying current the, currents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that none will follow is that. To be honest with you, it is easy. We live in a comfort-driven culture, and it is so easy to even, maybe I'm not watching church from home. Maybe I am coming to service. But maybe that's all I'm doing. Yeah, sure. Maybe I am like the custo- like the person who came in last week and provided a question about their husband who just studies the word of God but doesn't get involved. Mm-hmm. To be perfectly honest, that's not the full invitation of Jesus Christ. Right. And the full invitation of Jesus Christ is both first relational, and then in that relational, you will have no choice. If it's a true relationship, if you're truly connected to Jesus Christ, He's going to put you on mission. Mm -hmm. And that mission is going to be a verification of the fact that you are a true believer. Yeah. You know? It's very hard for me not to high five you right now, Josh. I'm really feeling that across the table, but yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, we got one more question, and it is about immediate obedience. So let's go ahead and dive into that before we close out today. The main scripture verse talks about Matthew immediately getting up to follow Jesus. What do you think were the key elements that caused Matthew to get up immediately 
And how can I apply that to my own life? Well, I think this is a, a good question. And I think certainly this is something that we spend some time with, you know, in the sermon. And I think there's one of two answers. And then I pretty emphatically said both of them. I think both of them are at play. Um, either it was the incredibly authoritative power of Jesus, the power of his presence. Just Matthew had almost no choice. He just was caught up in the magnetism of Jesus and boom, he couldn't say no almost. Or it was the deep need of Matthew's heart that Matthew really had this deep need. Like he was feeling alone and empty and he saw a chance for redemption or he, or he just had faith in Jesus. He saw miracles maybe from his tax collecting booth or he heard some other words as Christ was walking by and um, he just had that instantaneous need, you know, for Christ from his own suffering in his heart. Um, but I, but I, my strong feeling is it's, it's both of those things that created the immediate obedience. It's a correct knowledge of Jesus, who he is, his power at work, his magnetism, and also it's the recognition of my need for him. Um, again, this would be a place to contrast with the rich young ruler who said no to the offer to follow Jesus. Um, go sell all you have and follow me. Um, and he said, no, he can't, he can't do it. Um, and so the, in this case, I think it's, it's the British young ruler doesn't have the need. He, he, he values Jesus perhaps at a certain level. He comes to him, he asks him a question, but he doesn't feel that deep personal need that somehow Matthew had. Um, and so I, I do, th- I do think, and I'm going to read it again, I think here in the pod, it's the, I shared this quote from Tim Keller yeah, know, in the service. Do. And, um, I, I like this quote, so I think I'm going to read it again. Um, this is actually in the book that, um, Tim Keller wrote about Jonah. Uh, and in Jonah in the book, Jonah is in the belly of the fish. This is all of Jonah chapter two. He's in the belly of the great fish. Um, and, and he's talking about repentance, Tim Keller, and he says this. Abraham, Joseph, David, Elijah, and Peter all became powerful leaders through failure and suffering. Countless Christians can attest to the same experience. It is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you finally are open to learn how to completely depend on God. As is often said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And I think Matthew in that moment had that recognition. Jesus is all I need. That's why he got up. And if we can imitate that in our own lives with that recognition, Jesus is all I need. Uh, and he, he, right now for you and I both, he's not all we have. We, we have more than just Jesus. We have wives and we have children and we have church ministry, you know, that we're doing and we have friendships and we have, we have, we have, we have more than just Jesus. But I remember in my life, and I'm sure you do too, probably Josh, when Jesus was all I had, I had, I, I had messed up my life. I had just absolutely came to the end of myself. And I actually said to God, uh, I've made a mess of my life. Maybe you can do something with it that I couldn't. I give it to you. Um, Jesus was at that moment. He was all I had. And I discovered he was all I need. And I think that's where, I think it's why Matthew, I think it's why any of us possess an immediate obedience to the call of Christ, mm-hmm. whatever that call is. I'm remembering a conversation with my my youngest brother, David, right now. Uh, David um, was called to Africa. He and his wife called to live in Kenya, and they sold everything they had. They sold their house. They sold their car. They sold clothing. They sold 
everything. In fact, I bought his bed at a reduced price, and I still sleep in his bed every night. Uh, but they, but anyway, they they heard they. I haven't heard that call myself to move to Africa, but my right. brother did, my youngest brother, and he did it. Boom! He he did not hesitate for a second, and he he called me on the phone. And kind of just told me the events that were unfolding. I was in the Kroger parking lot about to go in and shop. Uh, and I'm in tears. He's in tears. And he's just like, Oh, God is so good. And, uh, it was awesome. It was just, it was that, that immediate obedience of a call to leave everything. Um, I don't know. What are you thinking, Josh? I'm, I'm kind of rambling over here a little bit. Uh, what do you, what do you think? Well, I think that we all have come to a certain point in our lives when we, when we are at the bottom of ourselves. And there's no one left in our silence except for him. Yeah. And I think that that is a beautiful thing, but it's also something that Christians listening to this podcast can say, that happened to me. Where does immediate obedience play out in my life today? Yeah. And I think that the immediate obedience is that when you have made a decision for Jesus Christ, and I love, love, love how you put it that it is relationship first, action second. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that we do that is special here at this church is that we focus on developing a beautiful experience on the weekends so that you can have relationship, experience relationship for the first time, celebrate your choosing of relationship through baptism. All of these things about relationship and low on the practicum side of, you know, detailed doings. I love how, you know, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's mm-hmm. literally talking about, you know, how the Pharisees and the scribes would have all of these laws and restrictions upon them. And therefore that yoke, that like oxen, you know, thing that would sit on top of them as they would till the land would weigh so heavy and be so burdensome. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I, I believe that our church follows that model mm-hmm. because he says, I want relationship with you. And yeah. in that relationship with you, I carry what you need to be carried for you so that when in this relationship, doesn't matter what it is, each day, you're going to come into many situations and I'm going to need you to choose. I'm going to need you to choose. I'm going to need you to choose again. And that can be anything. So let's last week. My grandmother, you know, my grandmother had a stroke and she was coming to the end of her Mm -hmm. life and we're trying to figure out hospice care and overnight care and things like that. And some of my aunts were coming, you know, they were doing overnights and they were just exhausted. And I didn't have, I didn't have to work on Friday. And I looked at my wife and I was like, this is one of those moments, an immediate response. And when you're with Jesus, it's, that's how it is. He's going to ask you to immediately respond to certain things. And really how you are acting in your life is a measure of immediate obedience. You know, delayed obedience is going to probably be diminished kingdom work. Yeah, right. So I think that's what I think about when I think about the immediate obedience. I don't think you need to be concerning yourself as to whether or not you are responding like within 0.2 seconds or sure. within a certain amount of time. Your relationship with God will determine um, your ability to respond aptly. Hey, let, but, me ask, let me ask you, Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious about mm-hmm. this. Why do you think Matthew responded with that immediate obedience, that's what the question really asks: is is why why we think Matthew responded in that way? What what do you what do you think? I think that the treasures of this world happen to be so opposite to the treasures of our heart. Hmm. What our truest desires want are so counterintuitive to what the world's offering is, 
And I think that there is a desire deep within us to have intimacy and love for God and to be loved by God. And that desire reveals design mm-hmm. and that design reveals de- destiny. Yeah. And I think that he was in the pursuit of security in his life. He was in the pursuit of doing whatever it took to put himself in a position where he could manage the Roman authorities and the things that are happening in that time. And he was conflicted and he was probably at the bottom of himself, not being able to know where to go from there at that point. And then the irresistible nature of Jesus Christ in the flesh penetrated his soul to the point where he probably forgot how to activate the unconscious breathing. Yeah. And it was what his heart had desired his whole life, the vacancy. Hmm. I'm going to be preaching this Wednesday with high school about finding your soulmate. Yeah, nice. Valentine's Day. And and the reality is, is there is only one soulmate. Yeah. It is him. Right. Can you imagine what it would be like to look him in the eyes? Hmm. Oh my gosh, immediate obedience. I would have run through the brick wall that was holding me in the the tax collection area just to get to him. Yeah. For the rest of my life. Yeah. That's, That's immediate obedience. Look for the Jesus. And believe it or not, the couple, the the husband, the wife that you might be frustrated with, the child that you're frustrated with, your co-worker, your boss, every one of those were designed to be little Christ. Look at them and ask Jesus, am I supposed to find you in them? Hmm. And help me really, really see you, Jesus, and help me to run to you immediately and say yes to whatever it is you have called me to. I'm glad I asked that question. That was a great answer. <laughs> well, how about I say a prayer and we'll close this thing Please out. Please do. Yeah, spread it out. Father God, we thank you so much for this discussion about Matthew 9-9 and the sermon this past weekend. We pray for those who listen, that it was in some way helpful to them, and that, God, we can we can follow the model that Matthew gave us of immediate obedience in our lives and understand that, that relational, active component of this. Uh, and th- I mean, thank you, God, that Jesus goes on to explain that he says in John chapter 10, that my sheep know my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And there's a relational component so important that you know us, we know you, we hear your voice, and we follow you. And so Jesus, let us, let us live that out in our lives. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.